Psalm 61 as we continue our journey through the book of Psalms. While you're turning there, I do have a few announcements. First of all, we're going to cover Psalms 61, 62, 63, Lord willing, tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible so you can study God's Word with us tonight. I don't have a bulletin with me. We ran out of bulletins, and I gave mine away, but um, be sure to, um, uh, if you have one, take note of the things coming up. I believe uh, 55 and over luncheon this Tuesday, and um, that will be taking place at 1130 here at church, so ladies, that applies to you. If you'll sign up, thanks. Appreciate it, Ben. Um, and then, oh, high school. Um, they are going to have the youth bike ride on Saturday. So parents, look at all that information. If you've got any questions, Luke is up with the high schoolers. And ask them um, those questions you have, meeting at 8 o'clock on North 71st Avenue. They do need a permission slip, all right, and uh, a helmet to ride with and obviously a bike. Uh, 8 o'clock, pick them up at 10 o'clock. And uh, parents, if you can be on time as much as you can um, at 10 o'clock so um, you can get them, and so they're going to have a great time. So that's this Saturday. Uh, Don't forget, guys, men's prayer at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, every Saturday, ladies' luncheon, middle school, youth park uh, night on the 11th on Tuesday next week, and then men's Bible study is going to start as well on Tuesday evening, going through the book of Romans, and then ladies sign up for the ladies' study. That starts Thursday morning, uh, Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges, uh, Sandy Sanders is going to be leading, Uh, so get signed up so we can order the books for that. Uh, for the Thursday morning lady study. We also, if any uh, of you have uh, the Lord put on your heart to help with the kids, uh, we do provide child care. Uh, please let Sandy or me or Celeste know uh, so we can um, get planned for that. So August 27th, that starts. And other things in your bulletin, take a look at it. Also, some of you, many of you, the phone's been ringing about Grace FM being off the air. Uh, transmitter went out, okay, up on Buckhorn Mountain. So uh, Patrick and Joel are up there, the engineer, trying to fix it even as we speak. So hopefully it'll get back on the air uh, here soon. So be in prayer about that. Don't throw your radio away. Nothing wrong with your radio, okay? <laughs> get it out of the trash And uh, if you did. So um, anyway, be in prayer. And, you know, when it goes off the air, I remember when the High Park uh, fires were happening, Uh, that we were getting calls uh, because the fire went up the Buckhorn Mountain and uh, did some damage up there, and they were off there for like a week or something. And uh, we were able to to hear how people were touched by uh, Grace FM and listening to it and the teaching of the Word of God. And and, uh, like I've said before, I'd I'd love to share some of those stories. And uh, it is a tremendous blessing. Uh, to be able to be on the airways uh, all the way from Pueblo to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and Laramie, and it gets up in the snowy mountains. It gets in Estes Park and Red Feathers. And matter of fact, on Friday, uh, true story, uh, that a gal called from the Estes Park area here. She'd been listening to Grace FM, and she wasn't a Christian, and she said, I just needed to call. I don't know why I'm calling. Things aren't right in my life. And Pastor John was able to talk to her and say, well, the reason is you don't have Jesus and be able to lead her to Christ over the phone. That's the testimonies that we hear of Grace FM and uh, over and over and over again. So pray that it'll get back on the air. And um, so anyway, um, uh, just a blessing uh, to be able to 
uh, be a part of that ministry. I did do the show on Tuesday. Any of you listen? So, no, shame on you. So, <laughs> I know you can't get it on the radio, but it, it's still online, all right? So, you can listen online. <laughs> and it's on 101.7. So, I asked them, do you still want me to do the show? I mean, most of the listeners aren't going to be able to listen. They said, yeah, let's do it. And we had a great show on Tuesday. So, um, amazing how God works. And, and hopefully, they'll get it back up and uh, you'll be able to get it back uh, on your car radios or uh, radio at home or whatever you use. But it is online, and of course, down in Colorado Springs, 101.7 is on a different transmitter. So I just want to give you an update on that. Um, everything else is there in your bulletin. So, Father, we ask that you just be right now with, um, with Patrick. I appreciate Patrick, and um, I thank you for the friendship we've developed uh, just his uh, intelligence and in being able to sort out all this technology. And I thank you for those in the body of Christ. And, and Joel, the engineer, I pray that they would get this uh, place, uh, replacement of the parts and transmitter and, and um, it would get back up in their waves that the gospel and the word of God would continue to be uh, spread throughout uh, the front range. And Lord, I pray that... Um, that we would just, just honor your word always, whether we're here in this place or whether we're on the radio or whatever means as people listen to the podcast or, or whatever, that, Lord, we want to not deny the name of Jesus, but we want to proclaim Jesus and him crucified and the truth of God's word, how that's so needed today. And, Lord, I pray that even tonight as your word goes forth that you would bring comfort right now, that you bring encouragement to those who perhaps are going through a difficult time. And Lord, as these psalms are written 3,000 years ago, we know that they're for us tonight. And so, Lord, may your word just be uh, worked into our hearts and, Lord, be a lifter of our heads. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, you wish that life was just a smooth road, right? That everything was smooth, everything was good, there'd be no bumps, there'd be no, you know, uh, obstacles or uh, difficulties, uh, pits and things like that that life can bring in, in our journey in life. But I think that all of us know that life does bring difficulties. And it brings, you know, on the road of life uh, some uh, hard hard. Um, detours at times and pitfalls and obstacles that we end up facing. And one of the things that Jesus said to us is that you will have tribulation. He did not say that you might have tribulation. He said you will have tribulation. And all of us go through times of challenges and difficulties and loss and confusion and sorrow and, and, and trials. And we know that Jesus said, for I've overcome the world. He didn't leave us without any hope. And as we look at David's life, David, one of the things I really appreciate about the Psalms that we've gone over with David is he's so honest, isn't he, about the trials and the difficulties that he went through. And he went through a lot by the hands of Saul. Some of these Psalms are written. But also, as we go through Psalms 61, 62, and 63 tonight, 
we're going to see that these psalms were written during that time that David's son, Absalom, came and launched the rebellion against his father, David. And you know the story as you read it in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, how Absalom, it tells us, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he manipulated and, and he lied and, and he was one that planned and plotted. And not only was it Absalom, but it was David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel, that he was very close to. That we've already seen that in Psalm 55, David said, oh, it, it was a man my equal. And he expressed how he was hurting that Ahithophel had, had gone to Absalom and Ahithophel also in that rebellion like David's son, wanted David dead. And David, rather than choosing to fight there in Jerusalem, he didn't want blood to be shed in Jerusalem. He took his mighty man and they went off into the wilderness. He didn't want to have to fight his son at that time. And so David, as he went through such difficulties at this time, he is honest in what he is feeling and being overwhelmed and waiting on the Lord and how he's hurting. You got to remember, not only was it a difficult situation politically for him, but even more so personally, because this is written from a father who's brokenhearted over the situation of his son wanting to kill him. Can you imagine how difficult that was for David? And David, in the honesty of his heart, he writes these things down. And that's what's been so much of a blessing in the book of Psalms here is because he writes about in the Psalms and in these three how he was hurting, how he was overwhelmed, how he was full of sorrow, how at times he was angry, at other times that he was confused. And he would express that. He articulates it in a way, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God to where we can read this and we can relate to it, can't we? You know, I appreciate how David was willing to do that. And now that we can come along and we can say, yeah, David, I I know, I I feel, uh, I'm feeling some of the same things that you went through and the same feelings and situations. Paul the Apostle, he was one that was very honest in the difficulties that he went through. When he was writing his second letter to the Corinthians, he would, in that letter, express his heart about ministry and how he cared for the Christian more than any other letter that we have of Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. And he would write to them about his ministry. And he would say to them that the more I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. He was hurt. And he said, my ministry, that it includes the toils and the perils of persecution and hardship and being weary and persecution and and being hungry. It was Paul that would say to the Ephesian elders, that you know that I've warned you about certain things day and night for three years with many tears. And he would say at the end of his life that all have forsaken me. Oh, Luke is with me. And John Mark, send him to me. He's useful to me. He would say, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. And there's the great Paul the apostle that he's alone at the end of his life. But he said, the Lord stood with me. And he would express how he was feeling and the difficulties that he went through. You know, I think that sometimes it's good for us to be honest and to 
the hard things that we go through. Sometimes we like to keep it within us. Sometimes that we don't want to share that with others. And I'm not saying that we should share it with everybody, but with a close brother or sister or somebody that you trust, that is good to be able to express it and have them pray for you and minister to you and bring comfort to you. Sometimes we don't want people to think that, that I go through difficulties in life. We want to hide it and things like that. But the men of faith, I appreciate how they would express the way that they were hurting and the difficulties that they did face. You see, these three psalms were three psalms that I kept going back to over and over again over this last year. Because this last year did bring some difficulty to me in ministry. Matter of fact, it was just about a year ago that somebody very dear that I cared about that was ministering here in the position of ministry that had to resign because of disqualification. And it was very difficult in the season that would follow. And one of the things that the Lord kept bringing me to was, was these three psalms over and over and over again. Because you see, like David, as he went through times of confusion, there was time of confusion for me. As relationships were severed and, and strained, there were times where relationships were severed and strained that I went through. When times of, of anger, times of being overwhelmed, times of sleepless nights, all that, and the Lord really ministered to me in these three psalms. And I want to be able to just share these things with you that if you're here tonight and you're going through difficulties or loss or grief or whatever it might be, that you can write some of these things down, that the Lord will be able to minister to you and when you find yourself going through things like that. Because it may be right now that things are good with you right now, but we will all have tribulation. And these are three psalms that particularly that I pray are a comfort to you. And when you find yourself in that season... So let's begin to look at it in Psalm 61 to the chief musician on a string instrument, a psalm of David, as he writes, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy, and I will abide in your tabernacle forever, and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we see that, that David, he did something that we need to, to do, and that is to cry out to God. And you see in the Hebrew here, when, when David says, I cry out to you, it's more than he said a prayer, but it, it means emotion. David, he was a great warrior. He was a man's man, but he was also very emotional. He speaks of his tears, and he said, Lord, I cry out to you when my heart is overwhelmed, and that's what we are to do. And he was looking for that place for that place of stability, that you are my rock. You are my rock. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And he knew that the Lord was his rock. Of course, for you and for me, we know that Jesus, he's our rock, isn't he? I, I love that old hymn that says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shaky sand, isn't it? And it's true for you and for me. And we know that as we cry out to God, that he hears us and he lifts us to that place of stability. That's where true stability and strength is going to be found as we cry out to the Lord. But oftentimes what happens is we withdraw from the Lord. But I want us to know something here. That, and I noticed it this afternoon. He says, from the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. 
David must have felt out there in that wilderness. He's away from Jerusalem. He's away from his family. Everything seems to be exploding around him and imploding within him. And as he's out there, he must have felt that I'm at the end of the world, or at least of my world. And you see, when we find ourselves at the end of ourselves, at the end of our world, what we are to do is go to the Lord and depend on Him and cry out to Him and look to Him. Even if we feel like we're at the ends of the earth, and that's what we see in the Scriptures, whether it was David in the wilderness or the disciples on the Sea of Galilee in a storm, whether it was God's people backed up against a sea with two mountain ranges on both sides, and the Egyptians about ready to come and kill him. Or whether it was Jonah that found himself in the belly of a large fish in the middle of the ocean. That they were ones that they cried out to God and God heard them. And God brought them to that place of safety and worked in their lives. And he desires to do the same thing to you and to me. You see, oftentimes when we find ourselves at the end of our lives, it's where God really wants to work in our lives. We talked a little bit about it last week. <laughs> that man, Jacob, 20 years in Pandanaran in Genesis chapter 32. You know the story. After he had his wives and all his children in his herds, he had a fallout with his uncle Laban. And Laban said, you need to leave and don't come back or I'm going to kill you, Jacob. So Jacob takes all his herds. And Jacob, for all those years, his name means heel snatcher, always trickering everybody and always conniving and, and making a plan and plotting to get what he wanted. He deceived his brother Esau 20 years previously that when he left there in Genesis 32, that he tricked him out of the blessing. And Esau was wanting to kill his brother Jacob, so he takes off. And there he meets Leah, and he meets, meets Rachel, and of course has uh, his 12 sons that are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's going to go back to Canaan. He's going to go back home. And on the way home, he's there almost ready to come into the Jordan Valley. He's at the brook Jabbok. There, as you come down the hills, there of Moab. And as he's there, he gets word, Esau's coming. Esau's coming at you, and he has 400 men. And he was terribly afraid, the scripture says. And he knew that his brother Esau, who he hadn't seen for 20 years, who vowed to kill him, wasn't coming with the welcome band. That he was coming to, after him. So he divides his family up. He says, well, he's probably thinking if Esau gets to half the family, maybe the other half will survive. And there's Jacob. He finds himself at the brook, and he's all alone. And all of a sudden, he can't go backwards. He can't go forward. He can't come up with a plan. He can't connive and sneak and plot. He was so resourceful, Jacob was. He was the kind of guy that you would want to run your business he was the kind of guy that you would go and consult, what do we do? But Jacob, he couldn't do anything. And all of a sudden, it says that the angel of the Lord snuck up on him and began to wrestle with them. And they wrestled all night long. I mean, that's a long time. And you see, as they're wrestling, Jacob, it tells us that he prevailed. And the angel of the Lord, which was a Christophany or a theophany, and I believe in the parents of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, that it was the Lord that said, what's your name? The Lord knew what his name was. It's Jacob, heel snatcher, deceiver. 
your name now is going to be called Israel. And as we read that story, sometimes you can think, you know, picture Jacob, kind of this buff guy that's wrestling with the Lord. And Jacob was in his 90s. He was probably close to 100 years old. And Hosea gives us in chapter 11 some insight that it says that Jacob prevailed, that, that, he, that he wrestled with the Lord with many tears. And you know the story of Genesis 32 that Jacob said that I won't let you go till you bless me. You see, don't picture Jacob having Jesus in a headlock saying, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I want more flocks. I, I want more wives. I want to be stronger. I want to be more popular. I want more prestige. I want more attention. No, it says that with many tears, he's hanging on to the Lord, this elderly man, all his life for over 90 years, that he's doing things out of his own energy. I'm Jacob, and the Lord said, you're now Israel, governed by God. You want blessing, Jacob? I'm going to bless you. And he touched his hip, and his hip came out of socket. It was very painful. You want blessing? I'll tell you where blessing is going to come. It's going to come through breaking. And I know that in my own life and in all of our lives, as we cry out, Lord, I want blessing, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to bless you, but there's going to be some breaking, breaking of your own abilities and your own planning and your own conniving and your own plotting, and you're going to be Israel to where you're going to learn to trust in me and be governed by me. And it was Jacob that ended up walking with the cane, and he learned in that time and at that place that he called Peniel, which means I saw God face to face, that he learned to walk with the cane. His walk wasn't the same, and he had to lean on that cane. And the Lord desires for our walk not to be the same, but a walk that leans on Him. So you want blessing? It comes through breaking. And David, we see that as he went through this time, he went through such breaking, and he learned to trust in the Lord, and he learned to, at the end of his rope, at the end of his world, to call out to the Lord and know that, Lord, you're my place of stability. You're my protector. And David would look back and remember that God had protected him before. And I'm going to stay in that place of protection as he says that I will abide in your tabernacle forever. You've been a shelter for me, and I will trust in the shelter of your wings, that poetic term, just as a, a bird will spread its wings over the nest to protect the chicks, the eggs in a, in a storm, where they found hens where a fire went through where they pulled up the hen that was burnt up as the fire went through and she had spread her wings and all of a sudden the little chicks went running out because she protected her young. It's like Jesus who wept over Jerusalem right before he went to the cross. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not come. And now you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going through a time where your heart is overwhelmed. You go to that place. You cry out to him, and you stay in that place where you know that the Lord's going to bring stability and be your protector. 
And David goes on and in verse 5, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vow. So David continues to speak of his confidence in the Lord. David knew that his throne was uh, God's heritage. The Lord came to him and said, David, that uh, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And upon your throne is going to come the Messiah and your throne will never go away. And David was so blessed. He knew that he had a heritage, but he knew that God's people were a heritage as well. And I'm sure that he's hurting over his son. That was in rebellion and wanted to kill him. You see, the greatest thing that you and I can do, David was a wealthy man, had great fame, had everything that a man would want. But more than anything, David wanted to leave a godly heritage to the nation and I'm sure to his family. And he speaks about that. The covenant that you made with us, Lord. He speaks oftentimes of that in these Psalms. And the greatest thing, men, parents and grandparents, the greatest thing that you can leave is a godly heritage to your children, to your grandchildren, more than anything that you can give to them. I know we desire to bless our children when we pass on when we go home to be with the Lord, our families, but the greatest is leaving a godly heritage and legacy with them. And you know what? That's what they want to see. You see, it's not primarily things. They don't want to just look at us and say, hey, you're the man, dad. You're the woman, you know, woman, mom. And that's all fine and dandy, but what I think is really going to bless them is when they see the brokenness. When they see how we depend on the Lord and that's where we get our strength. When they see that we're looking to the Lord and that's where we get our wisdom and we're trusting in Him. You see, that's a heritage that we want to leave to them. Knowing that the Lord will keep us and He's going to work in our lives. So David here hurting, and he's, he's writing this, his heart being overwhelmed. In Psalm 62, coming out of this time where he's in the wilderness, and to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, the psalm of David, and he writes in this psalm that truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. As David writes this psalm, he knew that God alone, you know, uh, was uh, the one who saves. And he's waiting on the Lord to see if he would bring him back to Jerusalem. He would say, if God delights in me there in 2 Samuel 16, he will bring me back. If not, he's going to do what he pleases to do. And once again, David is acknowledging that God is not only his salvation, but again bringing stability and strength into his life. Remember it was Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount 
that he said that you and I are to be like the one who is wise. That is, that hears the saying of his and does them. Is the one who builds their house upon the solid rock, right? So when the winds do come, not if they come, but when the storm comes and the winds of adversity blow against your life and the rains come dumping on top of you, that you're going to be able to stand just as it was the Lord that said that great, that house was able to stand. But don't be like the fool who hears these saying of mine and doesn't do them. It's like the one when the storms came and the winds and the rains, that great was the fall of that house. What are you building your life daily on? The solid rock, Jesus Christ? Looking to him? Walking in obedience to him? And you see, David knew that as I wait for you, you're the one that's going to work in my life. And the enemy threatened him, wanted to kill him, lied about him. Yeah, as he says here, that they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. I think that perhaps that a lot of us have been through that. Oh, you're so wonderful. And then they turn around, next thing you know, they're slamming you. Talking about you and putting you down and criticizing you. And it can hurt, and it hurt David. Because it was not only coming from his son and his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, as he was close to him, but others that he knew and was close to. So David here waiting in silence before the Lord. And here's the thing, that when we are waiting on the Lord and we have talked about, it's important for us as Christians that we learn to wait on the Lord because we live in such an instant world, don't we? We want things to work now. We want to have it now because that's the way the world works. Instant communication. You know, I want my coffee right away. I don't want to have to wait at Starbucks. I want it now. I want my fast food now. I want instant communication. I want things done now. And we live in a society where we get very impatient and we need to learn to wait on the Lord. And here's the thing that I have learned especially in this last year. With prayer, it is linked to patience. In praying to the Lord and waiting on the Lord, there is patience that is needed in trusting in the Lord. And David is just waiting on the Lord here, and he is waiting for God to work. Listen, God's delays is not God's denying or ignoring you see, the enemy wants us to think that. And we need to be careful not to fall into that trap. Oh, the Lord's not listening. He's not working. You're still waiting. You're still wondering. And what that can lead to is that you begin to do things in your own understanding. Waiting in silence before the Lord is not a lack of faith, but it shows great faith in trusting in what the Lord's going to do. And it is in preparation to when God does speak and tells you where to go and what to do. We need to wait on the Lord. And he continues, as my soul waits silently for God alone, for, for my expectation or hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Uh, these verses meant a lot to me personally. When I did a lot of waiting on the Lord, and knowing that my expectation or hope is from Him. 
David is growing here. He's growing in faith. How do I know that? Look at verse 2. I shall not be greatly moved. Look at verse 6. I shall not be moved. He's growing. We go through times where we are moved, where we're confused, where we get angry, where we get upset. And God in those times wants to grow us. I won't be greatly moved as I wait on the Lord, but my hope is in you, Lord. And as I know my hope is in you, I am not going to be moved. Our faith begins to grow. You know, Paul, he would write, as he would write, that we are hard-pressed on every side in 2 Corinthians, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Because you see, it was Paul that just got through writing that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power of God, uh, it, it may be of God and not of us. In other words, we're earthen vessels. We're like clay pots, in other words. That the excellence of the glory is of God. Delight in the glory of God being manifested through the broken vessels and situations of our lives, and it's not of us. Just as Gideon and his mighty 300 men, that they would huff and puff around the hills of the Midianites, and what did they do? They broke the clay pots and came rushing in the wind, and those coals ignited and all of a sudden, the light would be manifested, and there was a great victory. You may be cast down. You may be perplexed. You may feel weak. We're clay pots, and in the brokenness, the Lord desires to work. As we have this treasure, the Lord is in us and working through us to manifest his light, to be a testimony witness to others. And that's what Paul goes on to write about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that we brought the gospel, and through that, the gospel was proclaimed. And people will look at you and me in the brokenness of our lives and say, there's something different. There's strength. There's something in you, the wisdom, the manner of life, that you're keeping it together. That there's something in you, a light or something because in the brokenness, the Lord is being manifested as we trust in him. And you see something that David says, very important. Trust in him at all times. You people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. We trust in him at all times, not sometimes. Not sometimes, but all times. Lord, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to pour out my heart to you. And again, the tendency can be that, Lord, when I'm going through difficulties, I'm going to withdraw. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Where are you going to go? You want to go to the world? You're going to go to the philosophy of the world? When the creator of the universe, who is all truth and all wisdom and all strength, is there wanting to work in our lives in such a wonderful way? And we need to trust in him at all times, not just sometimes. David is writing this while he's on the run. His life is in danger. 
And he continues writing in verse 9, Surely men of low degree are vapor, men of high degree are alive. Where are you going to go? The men of low degree, the high degree? If they, you put them on a, and weigh them on a scale, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Where are you going to go? What are you going to trust in? The riches, your abilities. See, Jacob learned that. Jacob was very wealthy, and he ended up learning to trust in the Lord because he's our hope. He's our refuge. He's our protector. He's our salvation. He's our rock. He's everything that we need. And as David continues, as he closes out this psalm, in verse 11, God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. There in verse 11, as he's talking about, he's all-powerful and merciful. In verse 11, when he says that God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, it's a Hebrew expression that God has declared this to me many times. How many times have we heard, trust in the Lord, look to him, cry out to him, over and over again, because we have to be reminded of that. We have to be encouraged in that and exhorted in that. So going through this psalm, we see that you can write down in your margins or in your notes that, that in verse 1, we're to wait silently. Verse 5, you wait expectantly. And then in verse 8, you and I are to wait continually. In Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, when you hear that word wilderness or read it again, he's out in the Negev Desert. If you've ever been to Israel with us, it is a hot, dry, barren place, very mountainous, very rocky. Don't think of the wilderness when you read it in the Gospels or uh, in the Scriptures, uh, the wilderness like, you know, Indian Peaks Wilderness Area or the Comanche Wilderness Area or Raywall Wilderness that are very beautiful and lush and green at this time. It is hot even in the wintertime. I've been in the Negev Desert when it was 100 degrees in December. In the summertime, it's 120, 125 degrees. The lowest part, uh, uh, point on the face of the earth, the Dead Sea, and then the Judean hills there. That's where Jesus was there for 40 days. He fasted in the temptation of the enemy coming to Jesus. He's there in the wilderness there. And here is David. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. And Psalm 63 Psalm 63 is very unique because David continuing to write when he's running from his son. He's away from Jerusalem. He's in this hot, barren place. And this is a prayer. This is a praise. He does not give a request like the other Psalms. And that's what makes this unique. So as we read, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Remember the situation. He's hurting. His heart is overwhelmed. He's waiting on the Lord. And he says, God, you are my God. You are my God. He didn't say, how could you, God? Why would you, God? Where are you, God? He says, you are my God. And he desires God right now. 
just as our bodies desires water, he says here that my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. He's there in the middle of the desert where there is no water, and I long for you. He didn't say that my soul longs for me to be back in the palace. My soul longs for me to be back with my wives, to be back in a position of prestige, to be out there killing giants. My soul longs for you because you're my God. You are my God, and I'm crying out to you, and I long for you. I want to be more like this, just as our bodies. Today was hot, wasn't it? And some of you guys were working outside. And now you get hot and thirsty and, and that water that you long for. May our souls long for that for the Lord every single day and thirst for Him. Thirst for Him. And David here is refreshed as he's worshiping the Lord. And even though he's in this deserted place, he says that, number one, you can write down in your notes or here in your margins, I still have you, Lord. I still have God. He's my God, and I long for you. And I notice something here as well as I look for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory again. As I was thinking about this and praying through it this afternoon, that David, he doesn't say, I saw your power and glory. David was a warrior, as I said. He, he, he killed giants. Goliath? Isn't that an incredible story to read in, in 1 Samuel? I would have loved to see the replay on that, wouldn't you? He was a warrior. They sang songs about him, that David has killed his ten thousands. He went to war. He, he was an incredible man. He was a man's man, and he saw God's power working through him. But yet, what does he say here? He says, I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. In that place, in that place of worship, And I've learned something in 24 years of ministry. You see, the Lord has allowed me and the privilege to do things that I never thought was possible that I would be able to do. Whether that would be in a war zone in Sudan or in the burning ruins of 9-11. At a hospital ministering to Israeli soldiers in Israel? Or with a team of first responders recovering a child out of the river that drowned? And through that, I've seen the glory and the power of God being worked in those things. But I'll tell you where I really have seen the power and the glory of God. It's here in the sanctuary. Truly, I've learned that. To be with God's people, to be with the group of men that are praying. I've come to realize where I've really seen God's power and glory is being with believers that are praising Him and having fellowship and closeness with you, my family. And what a privilege it is for us to be here. We've been talking about the importance of being in fellowship because God doesn't want us to be alone out there all by ourselves. And people will say, hey, you know, I don't need to go to church, you know. And you don't 
have to go to church to be saved. I, I'm a believer, but here's the thing. If Satan knows that you're out there alone, it's a lot easier for him to beat you up. We need each other. Just as we talked about on Sunday, as, as Paul's talking about this holy temple called the church, and, and so what you are to do is walk worthy of the calling in which you were called and maintain the unity, and, and as he's talking about us coming together and those gifts being used for the edification of the saints, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. It's another reason why it's important for us to be together, because God has something for you to do to be a blessing to others, that the body of Christ may function and work together. And then thirdly, this is where we see God's glory and his power. The greatest miracle of all is people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We've seen that. Lives being changed, people being delivered from addictions, People's hearts, as they become a, a new creation, transform, becoming brand new. This is where we see the power of God as we gather his church, as we gather with other believers, as we look to him and trust in him. He says, I look for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. In verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live, and I will lift up my hands to your name, and my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. So not only I still have God, but second of all, I still have a song. The best thing in life, he says, it's not that I'm the king. It's not that I have all these wives. It's not that I have all this prestige. He said, the best thing in life is your love, Lord, is your love. My lips shall praise you. He didn't say that I have pouty lips. Lower lips stuck out, you know. He said, my lips will praise you. Even though I'm out here in this hot, dry desert, even though it's difficult, I long for you. I still have you, and I have a song. And then he goes on, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you've been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice, and my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. I still have you, Lord. I still have a song. Thirdly, you can write down. I still have joy. I still have joy. He says, I remember you on my bed. The desert floor was his bed. And he says, I meditate you in you and the night watches. The night watches. I think a lot of us know the night watches. Where you go through such difficulties or circumstances where you lose sleep and you can't sleep, right? And you're up. Here's something that we're to do, and I hope this blesses you. In the night watches when you can't sleep and you're overwhelmed or you're confused or you're hurting or whatever, that you meditate on him, the Lord. You meditate on him. I remember you on my bed. Don't turn on the TV and watch some stupid, you know, late-night comedian. Really. Or some info commercial. Meditate on him. 
And what I have learned to a deeper degree is when I can't sleep at night, it's the time for me to meditate on him. To spend time with him in the night watches when it's quiet and draw close to him. And it's very important that we do that. I want to encourage you to end your day with the Lord and meditate on the things of the Lord. And as you do, you're going to see that you're going to draw close to the Lord. And so here is David saying, I meditate on you. I, 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 I call for you. I still have you. I have a song. I still have joy. And then number four, and we're going to finish here tonight. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Fourthly, we've been talking about it. You can write it in your margins. Did I still have trust? I still have trust. God will deal with those who lie. Those who are speaking against me. Those who are plotting to kill me. I still have trust in you, Lord. I have you personally. I have a song. I still have joy. And I still have trust in you. The book of Ruth, you know the story of Ruth, beautiful story, isn't it? Naomi goes to Moab because of drought. She leaves Bethlehem, and she goes with her two sons, her husband. Her husbands die. Her two sons die, even though they are married Moabitess and women. And there's Ruth, and Ruth had a sister, and Orpah is her name, not Oprah, but Orpah. <laughs> Naomi says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. You guys do what you want to do. And Orpah, what she did is she, she wept and, you know, kissed her and Naomi and said, okay, I'm going to stay here. And she went and did her own thing. She had the choice to do that. But Ruth, she said, I'm going to go with you back to Bethlehem. And I'm going to lodge where you lodge, and I'm going to have your people be my people, and your God be my God. I will follow you wherever you go, and we're going to go to the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means, and Ruth would go. And it was difficult, and it was hard. There was drought there was wondering, there was confusion. What's the future hold? All this. And because Ruth would follow Naomi, and as she made the Lord her God, the Lord blessed. And it's a wonderful story, a love story, a story of redemption that speaks of our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has rescued us and redeemed us, and a lesson for another time. But Ruth would be blessed, and it wasn't easy. And she was blessed through the difficulties and the hardships and the breaking. She has a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son, the youngest of his sons, David. And David now is writing, and he says, I will trust in you. Listen. 
I think that some of us, even tonight, have choices to make. That when we find ourselves in situations where we're hurting or we're confused or it's difficult, the trials, the tribulations, we have a choice to make. Oh, I love you, Lord, but I'm going to go my own direction and do my own thing. Or as it was Ruth that we read, that when you read the book of Ruth, it says that she cleaved to Naomi. Are you going to cleave to the Lord and say, I will go wherever you take me, Lord. I will go wherever you take me because you are my God. And through the breaking and through the difficulties, there's going to be blessing. And you see, even Jesus would say that. Even Jesus, the son of David, would say in John chapter 6 that I am the bread of life. And he who believes in me shall never hunger or thirst again. And it was the crowds that said, we don't understand, this is too hard. Jesus was saying, come to me, the living bread. All you want is the material bread. You're hungry. He, he was saying this after defeating the 5,000. You're only wanting the material blessings and benefits. But believe in me and come eat of me and drink of me. And the crowds began to leave. So much of Christianity today is what you can get. And that if you have enough faith and speak these certain words that, you know, it's all going to be rainbows and lollipops. But that's not reality. So Jesus said to his disciples, you want to go with them? And you know, it's that great big burly fisherman, Peter, that said, where would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So the question tonight you have a choice, is where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Are you going to follow the Lord? And somehow, some way, through the promises and the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord, there's going to be breaking, but there's going to be growing and there's going to be blessing that's going to follow. You wait and you see that God will be faithful to his word to you. And he will show himself strong on your behalf. Or you go your own direction. And you wonder why your soul thirsts. And you're confused. And you're fretting. And you're upset. I will go where you will take me, Lord. Because you are the bread of life. So, Father, we thank you. Even as we come now to the communion table as we trust in you, as we look to you, Lord. And Father, I, I thank you for these psalms. Sometimes I think they were written just for me, but they were written for all of us. And I thank you for your word that touches our hearts and comforts us and edifies us. And Father, I do want to pray as we come to the communion table here in just a few minutes, is for us as believers remembering that Jesus, he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. That we might be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life and have right relationship with you. 
And I pray that for anybody who may be here. I know there are those out in the coffee shop or listening on live stream. Maybe later on the radio, you're, you're going to be listening to this message. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he loves you. He is your hope. He is your salvation. There's none other. Jesus alone died for your sins because we're all sinners. He alone rose from the grave. He came forth. He is Lord and He is Savior. There's none other. There's no other sacrifice for sin. There's no other salvation. Only Jesus. And He loves you. And He proved who He was and what He did by rising from the grave and conquering sin and death. And now salvation comes by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is and what He did for you. It's admitting that you're a sinner and repenting and turning to Jesus. Quit going the direction that you're going. Quit going to Moab. It's not your salvation. It's Jesus, the bread of life. Will you give your life to him? Tonight is the day, the night of salvation for you. If that means anything to anyone here tonight, and you pray right where you're at, sincerely in your heart, that Jesus, I come to you, a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross of Calvary for me. And you rose from the grave and you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart. And I open my heart to you and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. That you would sit upon the throne of my life. I now surrender to you. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, if you're here, I want you to come up when we conclude the service and just pray with me and talk with me. I, I want to encourage you. Or if you're live stream, I want you to call in the church and let us know the decision you made. But right now, as we come to the communion table, as the communion elements are handed out, as we hold on to them, we'll partake of them together. May this be a time of, Lord, I trust in you because you proved your love for me by allowing your body to be broken your blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And it'll be a time of drawing close to the Lord, a time of worship and awe. In Jesus' name, amen.